Hi, welcome to another episode of the Weld.com podcast. I'm Bo Wigington, and today I got the chance to sit down with Justin, also known as the Fabricator on Instagram and the creator of the Fabrication series on YouTube. We touch on his other company, Weld Metals Online, his favorite video you made that taught him a valuable lesson about researching and creating a program for his videos, and the importance of getting an education as well as your trade skills so you could become the gray collar, the person that could communicate with the white collars and blue collars, making you more valuable in the industry. Do you want to tell the listeners who you are, what you do, and where you are in the world as well? Well, my name is Justin. I'm better known as the fabricator on Instagram or the creator of the fabrication series on YouTube. I live in Vegas, born and raised here, but well, pretty much lived all over. So I primarily just make content centered around welding, fabrication, you know, little tips and things you can learn about basically sticking metal together. So originally it was geared toward cars, which is, you know, what I've been doing for 21 years now is building cars and such. And it, it evolved as people started requesting more and more out of the channel, you know, more and more content was being created, not necessarily around cars, but a lot of it's related. So most of what people know me is the automotive performance fabrication welding related content. So that's basically what I do, among other things. You have a school that you teach people at now as well? Yeah, for the past five years, I've offered welding and fabrication training uh, hands-on in person at my shop here in Vegas. So um, unfortunately, it's uh, it's actually going away. This uh, I put out the last call recently for um, in-person training. So Dang. you know, at the end of the year, unfortunately, uh, you know, five years and. God, I think it's been like 1,100 people or somewhere in that general range. Quite a few that have come through all over the world. Absolutely love it, but unfortunately, it's just not uh, doing what it used to do. And uh, we're, well, you got to evolve. Yeah, got to shift gears. Are you going to be shifting to like online training or are you just shifting more into just making, fabricating, all that kind of stuff instead? Can't talk about too much because, uh, you know, everybody's got to sign NDAs and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. But uh, I'll give you a little <laughs> bit of an exclusive. Uh, I've been working on a platform for the better part of about three to four years now that is uh, online learning. We built it entirely from scratch. It never existed until what we have now. So that's about ready to launch. And that's why the in-person training is going away because we're moving on to something that my team of uh, engineers and I and a bunch of other people involved uh, literally built from nothing. So it's uh, it's basically an online learning platform, but better. Being in Vegas, what is the industry like? I used to live in LA and would make 48-hour trips there all the time, but I have no idea what the welding industry is like in Vegas. Okay, so our biggest industry out here is hospitality and entertainment. The industrial side of things is putting all the buildings together so that we can import people and export broke people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, a lot of it's, you know, structural stuff, carpenters, uh, you know, structural welders, etc. Other than that, not a whole heap and heck of a lot. Well, do so, you work with the casinos at all? Um, you know, I mean, I, I have in the past, but there's, you know, there's already shops and stuff uh, like union glazers, carpenters, all the rest of the stuff. A lot of them go union or non-union or whatever, but it's not, it's not really in my wheelhouse to do uh, a lot of that type of work. So a lot of specialty work I do, but usually when it comes to um, say like a part that goes in a casino or something like that, usually it's a much bigger build and budget than I usually deal with. I usually focus more on the smaller stuff. Are you full-time on YouTube or is it still kind of part-time? Oh yeah. I haven't had a job in over a decade. 
I was a mechanic for God forever, ever since I was, you know, younger. It was kind of what I wanted to do during the what 2008 or whatever when the economy started tanking. I had built myself up pretty big in the automotive performance fab world, and we were doing really good. Had a small shop and all the rest of that stuff, but it was always, uh, you know, I needed a fallback just in case, you know, that didn't work. Mm-hmm. It's got to be safety and everything. And when the economy tanked, my fallback was industrial earth movers, giant diesels and stuff. You know, it's like the the humongous machine that you, you know, you pack your lunch and climb up to the top of it because you ain't coming down until the end of your shift. Yeah. That I used to work on at the time, you know, the economy tanks and everything else like that. It was like, well, nobody's moving the earth anymore. So I got to figure out what the hell it is that I'm going to do. And of course, nobody was building their cars. That's all recreation. So I ended up putting on a uniform enlisting and uh, joining the Navy. It was really cool. I mean, I was, uh, I was still just young enough to get by and, and be able to do it without, you know, being the old guy. Yeah. Running around with uh, you know a bunch of kids or whatever the case is, but were you part well, of the CBs? No, it was crazy. I got uh, tested pretty high on the ASVABs and stuff like that. That they uh, they originally offered me nuke, and I was like, uh, no, I'm not. I'm not doing that. I don't. Yeah, don't want to be a nuke. <laughs> yeah, my wife's brother. He he's in the nuclear program, and and they're just you're in that sub for a long time. So <laughs> you know, it's not only that. I mean, yeah, they're really smart people. Cool, but. Dude, some of these guys that I met, we, well, I guess to preface this, they say the second hardest job in the Navy is sonar tech. And then, of course, they they also offered me corpsman, which, you know, that's, I don't want to be a corpsman. I want nothing to do with the medical world. So I ended up taking sonar tech. And what was funny is everybody who flopped out of uh, the nuke programs, which we used to call nuke waste, they would always fold into being sonar techs and they'd always come in there like they're so damn smart or whatever the case is. But truth be told, they could screw up a glass of water if they didn't have instructions to it. <laughs> like, There's something else. So you go into the Navy, you get out. Did you learn how to weld in the Navy or when you got out? No, I was already a, a you know welder fabricator at the time. I think oh, it was, uh, when, I, when I came out, that was... Uh, 15 years at it, pretty steady. And even when I was in, we started up another company, or at least my brand, my original brand, we uh, we carried it on and uh, we started manufacturing parts. So when I wasn't on the ship or I wasn't, you know, busy or whatever, me and some friends would get together and we build parts for cars and sell them and ship them all over the world, which was crazy. So, but unfortunately, um, oh geez, what was it? 2011 or I think it was 12. I got hurt. I had a uh, pretty bad injury when I was on duty. So uh, my back basically got busted up. Uh, they didn't want to fix it. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, there was uh, when the, you know, Captain so-and-so, doctor, doctor guy, he looks at it and, you know, does all the MRIs and x-rays and stuff. Took forever, you know, and they were just like, well, you know, it, your injury is, you know, unique and risk of paralysis and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, no, you know what? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to risk it either. So yeah. they're like, all right, well, here's your, you know, nice little check for the rest of your life. And, uh, you know, you're retired now. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so you're like, well, I guess I got to do something now. Keep yourself yeah. busy. So I was in my early thirties, uh, with nothing to do. Yeah, I couldn't go back to slinging on, you know, equipment or, you know, really working on cars just because the nature of the injury is, you know, is, is, uh, it's difficult. You have to, you have to kind of learn a lot of new things like, how to, you know, how to walk, how to stand, you know, how to, how to sneeze, how to blow a fart without, you know, your back going out and, you know, hitting the deck, you know, any, any of that stuff. There's, there's a, a whole new learning process to, um, you know, having, I guess you could say disability or whatever the case is, how to try to walk normal without limping everywhere and stuff like that. But um, there's literally nothing to do when you're in your early thirties and you're retired, right? So yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I, that's when I actually, um, I picked up the camera, just a little GoPro that I got years ago and I just started talking to it and, you know, showing people some stuff that I had already known at that time, which was, it was about 15 years of experience. And that's when I just started putting stuff on YouTube. That was in, um, 2015, I think it was. Like with YouTube specifically, have you noticed that that has given you the freedom to experiment with other projects you wouldn't normally do? Like I just saw you had those bumper boats that you just made. Sometimes I do. I do get that opportunity to play around with things that I wouldn't normally do. I would almost dare to say that it's it's kind of unfortunate where I landed on YouTube and where I've grown it to this point that I'm just basically the guy who teaches people how to weld. And uh, every time I try to do something that's remotely fun or entertaining, that's not necessarily <laughs> here's how to, you know, like, but to teach us. You have yeah. to teach us. <laughs> uh, it's like the crowd is just like, yeah, I'm not watching that. Dang, that's a bummer, man. I thought that one was really cool. Yeah, I mean, I want to I, I want to show people that there's more than just, you know, here's how to run a straight stringer bead, you know, on yeah. whatever, you know, or, you know, there is more to this world than just running a business. There's there's literally having projects. There's something that's fun that you can do or whatever. But when somebody's in the comments and, you know, they see a video or, or they watch a video and they're like, oh, I didn't learn anything at all. And I'm like, damn it. <laughs> Well, one question I had from that is the process of getting the getting the vessel number because you were like, "Yep, yeah, we got the vessel number." Like, how how did that process go? I want to say it's ridiculously complicated, but it, it it wasn't. It was actually really easy. It was just extremely inconvenient <laughs> in order to do that. I had to obviously turn in all of my receipts, keep everything that says these are the materials I used. This is where I sourced them all from. And, you know, here's how we got it all. And then you got to take that down to Department of Taxation and they got to make sure that you paid your taxes on all of it. Because, I mean, obviously things like materials and stuff like that, I mean, they're all bought through my company. So some of it I still had to pay taxes on, et cetera. And then they got to inspect it and they got to be like, okay, this is a, you know, a vessel. You got to describe it and you got to sign this affidavit saying, I'm the guy who built this. This is where it was built. And here's the materials that I used to build it. And then they just give you a, a whole number like right there. I've always wanted to build my own like John boat. That was something I was very interested in is that whole getting a vessel number process. It does sound very complicated though. <laughs> are you going to build it from scratch? Like weld it all together? Or are you just going to buy like a like a John bone from like Bass Pro or something. I want to make one from scratch, man. Like, I think that would be cool. Like, yeah. it's not going to be too crazy. It's not going to be the most flashy one. But, man, I could get out in the, on the lake and catch some fish. That's all I want. Put some bling on it, though. I mean, you're a welder, right? So oh, yeah. you put whatever you want on there. Yeah. No, it'll, it'll be cool. We met down at Fabtech. What was the whole experience like for you this year? Oh, it was, it was actually awesome. Um, strangely enough, I've been attending Fabtech since 2016. So obviously, with the exception of 2020, there was no Fabtech. But this was the very first year that I was or able to walk the floor and do whatever I wanted to do. It was definitely weird. I had no appearances. I didn't schedule anything with anyone. I wasn't hired for anything. And of course, this year, we didn't exhibit whatever the case is, right? So uh, me and my buddy, the only thing that we actually had to do was uh, influence a meet and greet Hard Rock Party. We we're a co-sponsor of that one. That was the only thing that was on the list of things to do. So my buddy comes down to help me out with that. And uh, we basically just walked around, looked at everything, met people, said hi, hung out with some friends, stuff like that. And it was like, wow, this is this is what everybody gets excited over Fabtech about. For me, it was like, it was always a job. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I had to do. And then to finally experience it for the first time. And what is that? Is six years? You know, that's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> 
I, I wish I got a chance to walk around more, but I was nonstop every day just talking to people, like walking by, just picking people, just like, hey, why are you here? Because I wanted to try to give people more of an experience of, you know, what it's like to go to Fabtech. Everyone knows what Fabtech is, but it's like, why are you going? What what are people trying to get out of Fabtech? So that was like my main goal. But man, I was there just chatting and I'm very envious you got to walk around. No, it's it's cool. And it was definitely an experience. I mean, like in years past or whatever the case is, you know, I, I, I do a booth appearance or whatever the case is. And you're like, okay, well, you're, you know, here in this booth for like two hours and you're at this one for like three hours, two hours, whatever the case is, right? So you're always... Uh, you're always jumping back and forth. And I'm, I, you know, I don't like to use the word celebrity really, but uh, you know, I do take a lot of pictures. I sign autographs. I talk to people and stuff like that. But when you have like back-to-back appearances and uh, you know, things like that, you gotta, you gotta start walking around the outside of all the booths, just see one booth to another when you have like back-to-back appearances and stuff. So in the years past, I've always had to do that. I kind of, you know, bums out the fans occasionally when you're like walking down the middle and they're like, Oh, Justin, Hey, what's up? And I'm like, Hey, sorry, I gotta go. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I gotta, I, I have commitments. I'm so sorry. Yeah. This year, I mean, there were quite a few people tracking me down and I was just hanging out wherever I was and just see all these people come over and I finally get a chance to be like, yo, how's it going? Have conversations, chit chat, whatever the case is. Or if I was in, uh, you know, like somebody else's booth, like a handful of people would find me and they're just like standing around waiting for me to talk to them. And I'm like, hey, why don't you check out this booth while you're here? Yeah, yeah, just becoming a salesman on the spot. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The metal coupons I see in all of your videos that, you know, you can practice different things on. Can you tell me more about that company and how you work with them? Yeah, Weld Metals Online, I actually own it. The reason why we don't like promote it that way, if you will, it's just, uh, it's standard business stuff, right? It's its own company, its own entity. Uh, It's just like you don't go to, you know, Chevy to buy a a GMC, Mm -hmm. you know? You know, you don't go GMC to buy a Cadillac. They're even though they're like the same company that owns all of them, they're all different brands all to themselves. And that's why I don't necessarily like run out there and say, "Hey, you know, buy it from me because it's mine." It has to stand on its own merit, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, originally, it was just a request of people that when I started getting more into the actual welding side of uh, things, of teaching people, they were like, "Well, where do I get metal to practice on?" And I was like, "I don't know. Go to Home Depot, man. Run down to the steel shop or whatever. You know, just grab a sheet and cut it up and do it." And then it turned into people were like, well, I don't, I don't have, you know, a break. I don't have a press, a shear. Yeah. I don't have all this stuff to do this. I don't have a way to cut it or like, I don't want to cut it. I just want to weld it, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. And that kind of evolved. Like I always thought like selling metal in a bag was like, who the hell would buy that? But of course I, I talked to a couple of people in the industry that, you know, have significantly more money than me and everything else like that, that they were like, pitch them the idea. And I was like, well, I've got this, you know, already laid out. The plan is created, everything started. And they all, for the most part, they all just kind of laughed at me too. They're like, who the hell's going to buy metal in a bag? And I was like, well, I guess I'm on my own on this one. So my brother and I for, oh, I don't know, four or five months just started stockpiling metal, just cutting it up and sticking it in bags and putting labels on it and all that stuff. And uh, when we did our initial launch of it, it just took off. You know, I didn't go out there and be like, oh, hey, you know, I just opened up this new company, go buy with me or buy from me. It, uh, it actually started all, all by itself and on its own merit. That's wild, man. I worked at a steel yard. I was one of the dudes that cut up your metal for you and everything. And I, I was envious of buying these, these like just prepackaged. All I want is a couple coupons to weld together, you know? Like, yeah. I think it's a wonderful idea. And especially for students, just instead of having to go buy a whole sheet, shear it, and then just make sure you get it all cleaned off, just having it nice 
packaged, ready to go, it really does help out. So yeah, with us, it's uh, you know you just pick whatever metal you want. We have uh, you know all your main ones: uh, carbon steel, stainless steel, aluminum. We've got some exotics, uh, oh like Inconel, copper, titanium, brass. You know, we got chromoly. We've got a you know a very vast selection. And if it's uh, if it's something that you want to just kind of dabble in, it's a good idea. In my case, I actually use it for practice. Mm-hmm. Like if some of my students are surprised to learn that you know before I get into a session or whatever, I'll bust out some coupons and just throw some random work with it, just kind of loosen up, get myself ready. So that way I don't do my first weld on a job, you know, yeah. you know, the first weld of the day on a job that I'm, you know, I'm going to be cold. I'm going to be rusty with it. I got to, I got to make sure that I I'm warmed up. I'm loose. I'm good. And just that little bit of practice on just a piece of metal or two, and you can have this pack in your toolbox and just, Hey, I'm going to try this real quick. I'm going to set this up and you can dial in and you could feel in, you know, how this is how I'm going to run today. Because I mean, we're not robots. We don't weld the exact same way every single day. You know, you have good days, you got bad days. So having that little extra, you know, five minutes just to throw some stuff down on a piece of metal that you don't have to go hunt down is a really convenient thing. Yeah. Well, and I just watched your video, the one that's blown up right now, where you did the repair on the can opener or the bottle opener. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, but in that video, you specifically sat down and you warmed up. You're like, I'm going to try two different methods, see which one's going to work for this, because I don't want to just jump right into this part and mess it up. And this guy be really pissed off. Can you believe everybody thought that was just clickbait? (laughs) <laughs> right uh, it has a you know it has a it has a catchy title to it i guess you could say and a, a sense of curiosity but the whole point of that one why i made it so clicky i guess you could say is just to show because the whole point of that one is one practice i mean there's nothing wrong with warming up beforehand and the second thing is uh the copperback not a lot of people know about it. i mean i've got a gap on some super thin ass stuff here how am i going to make sure that that gap doesn't go through well you can copperback it because almost nothing sticks to copper except for copper yeah and other alloys of it. But, you know, showing somebody that, you know, how do you create a title or whatever? Be like, here's how to well with copperback. Like nobody would probably click on that. So it's like, instead, let's get the word out a little bit differently and uh, hope they get the message. But everybody just thought it was a big ad for weld metals. And I'm like, no, you missed it. <laughs> yeah. The whole copper aspect. I've seen a couple of different videos of people using that. I went through school, went through welding school. No one was like, yeah, if you're welding something really thin, you can pop some copper back there and it'll be a nice heat sink. But I saw it on YouTube and it works really well, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, in the auto industry, when it's like welding uh, things like you know, like body panels on cars and stuff, they're all super thin. We used to have a, a tool that you can still buy to this day. It's called a copper spoon. And it's basically just a you know piece of copper with a handle on it. And you stick it behind your panel and blast the bejesus out of it with a MIG. And it just fills the hole up, doesn't warp the panel, and you don't blow the hole out. So, I mean, aside from you could buy the copper spoon or whatever the case is. But, you know, here's some little pieces that you can cut up and bend and fit in place or whatever the case is. And I figured, oh, yeah, th- this should do. But that's how I how I initially learned about copper backing was uh, from the auto industry. I feel like there's a lot of schools in America, at least, that I know of. The main focus that they have is going to be structural, pipe, like heavy, heavy material. And, and there's the kind of auto body side is more of a like this is a continuing education type of thing. I'm like, man, I would love to learn how to be really good at fabricating with sheet metal. 
Well, of course, with the welding industry, you have different divisions of it or different disciplines. You know, mine is obviously automotive performance fab, but to be like a fabricator on cars, you know, you got to know, obviously, you got to know how the cars work. If you're building a control arm and you don't know how a control arm works and how you can make it better, you're probably not going to build a very good control arm. You obviously, you got to know a little bit about machining. You got to know about welding. You don't know about the cars, all the rest of that stuff. It's a difficult industry to get into. Everybody thinks you can just go to school and come out and just, you know, weld it like you just went to pipe school or something like that. Not to degrade what they do or say that it's anything less or anything like that. I wish there was a little bit more in the industry, the welding industry that shows you or tells you the different things you can do. Exactly. You know, if you're sitting here, you know, if you go to pipe school and yeah, you're going to get on the pipeline or you're going to work in a steam plant or whatever the case is, cool. But you know, there's other areas that you can take this to. And then also understanding at the same time that it's not like welding pipe. Obviously, I weld exhaust systems and stuff like that. They are round. That's about the only similarity they have. I can't weld pipe to save my life. I've been taught a couple times and I got a whole new respect for those guys that do that all day. You know, we used to just say, okay, yeah, arm flapping O-beam welders, you know, because that's all they do is just walk the cup in circles all day. But I'm like, once I tried that, I was like, oh, geez, this is extremely difficult to do. Yeah. But give them a, you know, a piece of exhaust tube or give them a, you know, some exotic metals or stuff that I weld and they would have the exact same answer. They'd be like, well, that's really tough, man. I thought you just stuck some pieces <laughs> together like a puzzle or whatever, you know, it's like, I wish there was more of that understanding in the industry for people to know that you can always keep on learning something new. There's always something to explore, something to discover, something to constantly improve, you know, upon and unfortunately, it gets stuck like that sometimes. People are just like, well, I'm, you know, journey so-and-so, a journeyman so-and-so at this, and I'm the best in the world and never learn anything else and blah, 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 blah. You see a lot of those guys in my comments. I pick on them. Yeah, that's one thing. I'm a very curious person and I constantly love learning. There's just so much more like you could do sculpture you could do just custom fab like my work personally as a welder i've been playing in bands in venues and bars and bartended for years so i have connections to a bunch of bars and all i started doing was saying hey i'm a welder now if you need something welded you know that is like a whole nother industry on its own there's furniture making there's bar fabrication like i did a bar face which was really cool. Not much welding, but I got to be very artistic with how I finished it because they were like, we want this to look just different. And so I played around with different acids that gave it really cool patinas and everything. Speaking of patina, this is probably something you hear about all the time in the car world. Patina. Everybody's into the patina look. Do you do any finishing work or is it more of just the fabrication work? I try to stay away from most finished work unless it's a project of my own. So actually like the table that I'm working on, I built it a couple of years ago, or not the table I'm working on, the table I'm standing at right now, my desk. Uh, a couple of years ago, I actually, I was, I was going to make a video of actually building it, but like I didn't say anything. And of course I had like a bunch of music playing in the background. So you can't just like put the raw audio up on, uh, on YouTube or whatever. So it's been in the, uh, the archives for a while, but uh, it's a tall table, you know, really big, but the base of it is very industrial looking. It's a uh, gears. Rather than keep it raw steel, I actually did uh, rust it or intentionally rusted it and then clear coated over that. So it has this like really awesome industrial look to it. Like stuff like that I'll do. 
God, I got some other projects and stuff that I did like on YouTube a while ago where I just recently did an episode on silicon bronze where, see, that was the one that I collaborated with Tim Welds and we did some silicon bronze, or I did, I mean, I, I did a one of our diamond gem kits from Weld Metals. Uh, half of it was carbon steel and the other half of it was stainless steel and I wanted the carbon steel to rust. So I sprayed it with, uh, you know, like a combination. It was, uh, what is it? Um, Vinegar. Yeah, vinegar, hydrogen dioxide, and salt. Yeah, man, that stuff uh, works like a charm. (laughs) Yeah, as soon as you get it on there, it's like you can spray it and it like instantaneously rusts. You know, if you add some heat and everything else like that, you can get it to pit pretty quickly and all that stuff. So, I mean, sometimes I do that, but other than that, usually I use or I let, you know, the professionals do what they do for a living because they do it best. Yeah. So sometimes people want like a part that's polished. I'm like, yeah, I got a little Harbor Freight polisher here and, you know, (laughs) I want to sit there and stand in front of that thing for hours and hours on end, you know, or I could just send it down to, you know, so-and-so's polishing shop down the road and I'll get them to do it because they'll, while they'll probably do it cheaper, they're a lot better at it than I'll ever get. I don't have half the equipment to do the stuff that they do. So let the pros do what the pros do best. Same thing with like anodizing powder coating. You're like, it's like yeah, I could buy or build a powder coat oven, but and I don't want to do that. It just takes up space and all that stuff. And I can just run it right down the street, two blocks away, drop it off and be like, yeah, can you make it this color? Cool. I'll, I'll be back in a couple of days. Yeah. You know, like, let the pros do what the pros do. I find that with sandblasting too. You know? Oh God. <laughs> like leave that up to whoever's got something to contain it. You got a sandblast business. Uh, you know, I envy you and I will send you all of my work, man, because I ain't doing it. Yeah. What is your favorite video you've ever made on YouTube? I think it was one that I started getting kind of serious about scripting and telling stories and giving a little bit of history to what, you know, how we come up with things. And that was um, an episode about balling tungsten. And uh, it was just me sitting in front of a couple of cameras reading off a teleprompter you know, brought the whole history of, you know, basically AC TIG welding and why we used to ball the tungsten, why some people still say we have to ball the tungsten and why, for the most part, we don't ball the tungsten anymore, you know, and how it's scientifically impossible, you know, if you have your your balance set a certain way and stuff like that. That's actually my favorite episode. I have no idea why. And it's not a very popular one by, you'd have to be looking for that one if you wanted to actually find it. But I think the episode was called like, do we even ball the tungsten anymore or something like that? Basically, the whole history of it was, uh, it was fun to research that and write that one out. And I think that's probably why it's my favorite one is just because it was, uh, it was like the first time that I actually had like a, a programmed episode where you could learn a lot more than just a yes or no answer. I never really liked that about some people. I mean, not to talk trash anybody on YouTube. I mean, that's kind of the reason why I was on there is just because the detail of thing, you know, the, the things I like to share with people, you know, to deep dive into something a little bit more than just like, here's how it's done. Do it my way. I want to give a little bit more like understanding so you can create your own opinion and your own style to do it. That's kind of what I base everything off of. That was one of the first times uh, that I really did kind of like that deep dive into that, that style. I don't know, just that one sticks out in my head the most. The fake welding one, that was actually really fun to do too, because I got to I got to fart around a little bit. How long does it take you to make a video from like just planning, shooting, editing, and sending it out? The average eight to twelve minute video here is forty to fifty hours of work. But if it's like a weld repair video, I mean, the eight to twelve minutes, forty to fifty hours, that's my standard structured video where I'm actually teaching something. I usually start with a program to kind of get an idea of what it is that I want to talk about. What are we focusing in on? You know, just some, just some notes, if you will. And then, uh, you know, that's when the creative juices, I guess, start going. And I'm like, okay, well, we'll set this camera up. This is what we want to focus on. Here's what we're going to do. You know, we'll kind of base it off of a title and a thumbnail, just being like, yeah, maybe something centered around this, blah, 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 blah. And then I'll just start writing. 
and blasting out everything I can about the topic. Because you know, years ago, I, I was very active on forums and stuff like that. And I used to write a lot of tech articles for uh, magazines and such, or I didn't write a lot. I wrote you know a few, but that side of things, it was like, I'd, I always write it out like I'm telling a story or explaining a part, but it turns into my script. And then we'll go out there and we'll just shoot it all and try to get as much as possible to get some sort of structure of a video going. And then it's either I'm either in front of the camera reading a teleprompter or reading my script or I'm doing a voiceover, which, you know, same thing really at the end of the day. And then uh, we'll go back and we'll shoot some B-roll or catch a different shot. Like if, if I didn't really capture what I was trying to capture, I'll go back and reshoot it. If I seriously screwed something up, I'll go back and reshoot it. That doesn't happen often because I often like to keep a lot of the mistakes that we that we make in there. Yeah, you learn from those. Like, hey, guess what? I'm still human. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Once we have all that together, it's just a matter of editing it, chopping it up, cutting it up, getting the right flow to it. And then uh, you know, it only takes about an hour to send it to the internet. But then you got to fill in all the, uh, you know, all your descriptions the and links. Tags. And all, here's yeah. what I did, this, that, and the other. It's like, oh, God. Once it's up there, you know, that's the part that kind of sucks is once it's up there, you don't know if it's going to be good or not. You're just going to send it up there and hope for the best. So, and as I tell people uh, working on YouTube is like going to work for a week, put your 40 hours in and your boss is going to tell you what they're going to pay you. It'll be some random number. It might be a hell of an awesome paycheck. It might be barely enough to, you know, pay your phone bill and you're going to do it no matter what. And then you'll find out, you know, in about a month, you'll find out if you did good. And then the following month, you'll get paid for it. So you're going to do all the work right now, find out how much you make. And in two months, you'll get paid for it. <laughs> That's wild, man. I saw you had, you were doing German overdubs. Do you do oh, yeah. different languages for all of your videos? No, I don't. Um, I took two languages in high school. One was French and the other one was German. And I'm not going to lie. My French class was first period and I was always asleep. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't speak French very well. I did really enjoy German, but then again, that's, you know, 20 some odd years ago that I spoke it fluently, if you will. So yeah. I'm not going to lie. I just got on Google Translate, put a few words in there about what I wanted to say and listen to it like 20 times fast and slow and then try to get my correct dialect back in. The dialect I learned was more Northern, not uh, more Northern Germany, less less Southern. I tried to get it back as best as I could. And uh, some people wrote in saying that was that was OK. And other people <laughs> were wrote in, they were like, that was just terrible. <laughs> And they all speak German because <laughs> they all wrote, they wrote the response in German. <laughs> well, and that's something, you know, I don't know. You probably have heard of Mr. Beast because you're on YouTube. That was something that blew my mind when he was on the Joe Rogan podcast. They talked to him. He's like, yeah, no, I do it. I have voice actors that come in and do every single video. Like he hires like a mm -hmm. whole crew of voice actors to just do it in other languages. And that's so smart, you know, like people, yeah. people want to enjoy your content wherever they are and they would just enjoy hearing it in their native language, you know? Yeah. And he's got like all these friggin' play buttons in that hallway. He's like, Oh yeah, this is the Mr. Beast India. This is the Mr. Beast Russia. This yeah. is the Mr. Beast friggin', you know, Spanish, you know, this is Mr. Beast. And I'm like, Jesus, he has more budget than I have. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> so, you know, Philanthropy, <laughs> it gets you paid. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. No kidding. There's a, I've always thought about that, too. I was like, you know, I'm obviously I'm not stinking rich or anything like that. I mean, I'd like to say I do very well. I'm financially responsible and everything else like that. And there's always been a joke in the YouTube world. You can tell when, uh, you know, like your favorite vlogger or star or whomever when it's tax time. 
you can always tell because they're just pounding videos out left yeah. and right because they got to pay Uncle Sam, whereas the smarter ones or the more financially savvy ones actually have a business and we pay this quarterly and we don't just blow all of our money as soon as we get it. <laughs> the first time you get, you know, that twenty dollars or $30,000 check from YouTube, you're just like, yes, I'm going to buy it. <laughs> And it's, it's gone in like three days. You're like, oh, I just bought my you know favorite pair of kicks. I just bought like another car. I got all this other shit. I can afford everything now. And like next month, you get like two grand. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, well, I guess oh, uh, guess we're making some more videos. Yeah. And then they'll, you know, they'll hopefully build it back up or whatever, but they spend all their money. They don't actually save it or uh, learn how taxes work. Because like off the top of it, you know, there goes a quarter of it right away. Yeah. And if you're and if you're paying that once a year like an idiot, that's a lot of friggin' money that the uh, Uncle Sam wants to uh, take right there. So you know you can always tell who is scrambling at the very last minute trying to get friggin' money together to pay their taxes. But I've always wanted to do something that's like helpful, if you will, on YouTube. Maybe not so much like beast philanthropy or TFS philanthropy. Not you know not something quite like that. But I'm trying to work with other obviously other YouTubers and stuff like that to try and spread the word. Because when I got on YouTube, there was like three, four channels. There was there's Jody, there was well.com, there was me, and there was uh, Chucky. Chucky 2009 was his name. Uh, it was always difficult to work with anybody or, you know, to sit there and say, yeah, I am a competitive son of a bitch, but you know what? Why not do something together? Why not, you know, kind of unite this industry? Because it's always been so individualistic. Everybody is just like, oh, your pipeliners go with pipeliners, your structurals go with structural. You know, your sanitary stainless people, they're in the world of their own. Don't even talk about aerospace because if you're not in that, you'll never know. You know, it's like, why don't we kind of unite this and work together? Like, you guys are going to get your views from your channels and we're going to, I'm going to get mine from my, my viewers and channel. I mean, just why don't we ever do this? You know? So now what I'm actually actively trying to do is work with more YouTubers or more welders or people that are kind of coming up or, you know, whatever the case is. So big, small, I don't care. Like if you've got something that you can offer or share or, you know, help make this community better. Hell yeah, I'll put you on my channel or I'll jump on yours or whatever the case is. Like, I don't care. Like, let's do it. Let's let's work together on something. Yeah, collaboration Ooh. is key, man. The welding world can learn from the music world where someone will release a song and then they'll release it again, but it has a guest spot with a newer person. They're trying to get those people some views or like some listens and build up their credibility and everything. The welding world, Cross collaboration is always really cool in my mind. Your audience is going to be different than another audience. And just kind of what we were talking about earlier today, showing people the different facets of the welding industry, you know, seeing what all is out there. It's like you got a dedicated fan base and they might not know about all that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, actually, well, I mean, I'm not a musician. I grew up in music. I was a drummer forever. and I've always actively liked to learn different instruments and do my best to play them. But drumming was the one that I kept up with the most. Obviously fell out of it here and there. But uh, one of my, uh, I guess you'd call him a client or whatever the case is, his name's DJ Ashba. Uh, he was the lead guitarist for 6AM and he played in Guns N' Roses for a while and, you know, a bunch of other things. He's been everywhere. But he also has, oh, you could call it like a, a manufacturing company, like a, more like a kind of like a media company or whatever, but they, they build, they fabricate just about everything. Like he made his own stage for one of his shows here that, you know, he had a residency at and stuff like that. He's, an, he's a guitarist, awesome dude. 
but he's been getting more uh, recently into GDM and seeing the people he's collaborating with the music he's producing and stuff like that is just incredible. Like, you know, yeah, you're, you're a friggin' rock star. You're a total badass. Like, and you're such an awesome person and you're jumping out of your wheelhouse. So now you're not just like jamming friggin' rock and metal songs all day long. You're, you're friggin', you know, you're doing something totally different and bringing on more people and working with so-and-so and shit like that. It's like, that's something we could all learn from or somebody that we can all learn from, you know? Yeah, definitely. Is there anything, any really big advice for people just getting into the welding industry or students? Like, what is your biggest advice you can give them about how to just progress in their career? I see a lot of struggle when people just get into the industry or when they just start out. They research every single bit about it. You know, they'll research for months and months and months. And then they'll go to a school or they'll uh, buy a machine and try it on their own, like hobby style or whatever. And then immediately, you know, after laying their very first weld, they post up on the old internet and being like, what am I doing wrong? It's like, you gave up before you started. And same thing with the younger crowds that go, you know, they go into these, uh, the schools and everything. And there's nothing wrong with like the tech schools and stuff, but they don't understand that they have no experience. You were taught to weld, you know, this position, that position past the test and everything else like that, that gets you a foot in the door. But a foot in the door is not making a hundred thousand dollars after you just graduated nine weeks of school. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like you have to learn. And the only way to learn is by doing. And this is one of those industries where that's all you can do is just keep doing, keep practicing, keep getting better, and then keep growing. And then more more importantly than that, something I've been trying to get right on a video or whatever the case is, is you know. There's that big dividing line, I guess you could say, between trades and the educated, I guess you could yeah. say, the blue collar, white yeah. collar. That line has never been more prevalent or, or more visible than, you know, in the past years than it is today. And I've always been, you know, an advocate for having a trade. And I've also been an advocate for having an education. There's nothing wrong with having both. So, you know, even as you grow, like you can go to a welding school right now and realize that's what you want to do for the rest of your life. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you get the time in it right now and you learn, you grow, you get more money, you work your way up or whatever the case is, then go to school and try to, you know, get, you know, an education or whatever the case is, that good old mighty piece of paper that says, hey, I know what I'm talking about. And then when you go back into that same industry, you're already more valuable than either side because you obviously know how it's done. So the white collar can talk to the blue collar. You're the translator. And when the uh, blue collar is pissed off at the white collar for designing something, whatever the case is, you can translate again and then you theoretically make a better product and then you become a more valuable employee or you can go into business for yourself, whatever. So yeah, get skilled and get educated. Don't just say, okay, I know this. That's what I'm gonna do forever and just get stuck there. That's just, I mean, if you want to go for it, but always consider there's more to learn. There's never an end to this field. You know, just get your ass out there and get working and don't quit. Just keep on going. That's great advice. I feel you on the the divide. Never in my life, I don't think I've ever heard so many people be like, you know, talking about blue collar, white collar, blue collar, white collar. But I've never heard someone say what you just said, which I feel like is very valuable, where it's like, hey, you know, it, we're not against each other. We're going to have to work together. But if you can become a translator or a, or a bridge that gaps the two worlds, like you're, you're definitely, yeah, you're going to be way more valuable. 
Actually, it's uh, like in the videos when I wear my uniform shirt, that's why I wear a gray collar because it's not for either side. I can, I'm proud to say I'm educated and skilled at the same time. It just, it didn't happen overnight. It took 20 years, you know, and it's, you know, even though it's all the things that I've learned or whatever the case is, it's just because I wanted to keep on going. But that's also why I can be relatively successful in my business that, you know, I know how my business is supposed to run. I understand how it's supposed to operate. I have the people, I can manage them. I know how to do that. Of course, now I have experience with it, but getting into it, you know, I didn't just run into a cold. I had to go to school, had to learn all these things. The same thing with, uh, you know, welding. I didn't have YouTube when we started, you know, or at least when I started welding and stuff like that, I didn't have YouTube at all. Actually, the story of how I learned how to weld was actually really funny, but I, I just had to go out and learn like wherever the hell I could and then just keep on growing from there. So I'm not going to say, look at me now. I'm like all this successful and stuff. None of that. You know, that's just an example of the many, many things that you can do if you just allow yourself to get out there and learn. It's a good thing. That is a great thing. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Weld.com podcast. If you haven't downloaded the Weld app yet, what are you waiting for? When you become a premium member, you gain access to job boards and educational content that you won't find anywhere else. Plus, if you have a topic that you want me to cover on a future episode, you can reach out to me directly on the app. I'm Bo Wigington, and until next time, we'll see you out there.